Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Tribal consultation, effective and sensitive federal land use policies, BIA law enforcement, and even federal schools for Native children are all issues under the Department of Interior's oversight. The public has gotten a good idea of Laguna citizen Deb Holland's leadership in the year since she took over the department. Coming up, we'll discuss what that year tells us about Holland's priorities when it comes to issues that affect Native people and what we might expect from her in the future. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. An extensive review of more than 2,200 place names in the U.S. National Park System show many may reflect colonialism, oppression, or white supremacy. KLCC's Brian Bull has more. Nashe Baird is an associate professor of ethnic studies and Native American studies at Oregon State University. He says locally, sites across Crater Lake National Park were included for analysis. We did see that there was one called Devil's Backbone, and we weren't clear on the origin. So while we did the research on these, we don't always come to the conclusions, right? We're not always able to say for sure what the intent is. But a lot of times the word devil gets attached to indigenous peoples, communities, or cultures in this sort of Christian and non-Christian binary. Barnes says he'd like people to use this research to understand how place names came to be and to help develop alternatives that don't celebrate the removal or destruction of Native communities. He says beyond parks, other sites, including buildings, can be reevaluated. The research, titled Words Are Monuments, is in the latest edition of the journal People and Nature. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. A bill to ensure Native Americans are included in the renaming of the University of California Hastings College of Law is set for a committee hearing in the California State Assembly on Tuesday. The college is named for land speculator who built his fortune committing atrocities against Northern California tribes. Yuki people would like to see the college take a name in their language. During a hearing on the college in March, tribal representatives recounted the massacre of indigenous people by Serenus Hastings. They say the name change by Native people would be part of the healing process. The measure introduced by Native American state lawmaker James Ramos was amended to include a provision requiring consultation and collaboration with the school and tribal representatives. The California legislature named the school and state statute in 1878 because of the legislative action, a state statute is now required to rename the campus. In 2021, the college board approved changing the school's name and has been in discussion with tribes. For the first time in two years, the Miss Haskell pageant was held in person at Haskell Indian Nations University in Lawrence, Kansas. As Rhonda Lavaldo reports, it was a time of celebration for the tribal college, and now the royalty will represent the school. Due to the pandemic, the royalty pageant for Haskell Indian Nations University was not held and the student ambassadors continued their roles for two years. Finally able to start again, Haskell brave Alexander Many Goats Denae said he was glad to see all the support for the ladies competing for Miss Haskell. It's pretty amazing and it's, it's beautiful because it's, especially during the pandemic, you know, I feel like that really changed a lot of people's mindset and people's own. Um, you know, passionate about going to high school, even coming here. But I'm, so, I'm glad that a lot of people showed up and showed their support for the, for the university and for how much they care about this pandemic. 
While there was no entries for Haskell Brave, there was five ladies in the running for the coveted title. Winning was Asia Benelli Denae, whose platform for the next year will be mental health for students. My platform was based on the importance and awareness of mental health because mental health affects almost every aspect of our life, the way we interact with each other, the way we you know, make decisions. Um, and so I wanted to bring more of awareness and more resources to students to help with that mental, help with the mental awareness. And I wanted to also help students to help with that transition from being young adult into fully fledged adult. Benelli is also a member of the Haskell Volleyball and Track and Field team. This is Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support by the Gathering of Nations Powwow, a live event taking place April 29th and 30th on the powwow grounds of Expo New Mexico, featuring song, dance, trader's market, horse parade, and more. Tickets available at gatheringofnations.com and at the gates. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Deb Holland has now served as Secretary of the Interior for a little over a year. She came in as the first Native woman to hold a cabinet secretary position. And while her appointment to the post marked a historic milestone all its own, it also carried the hopes of addressing longstanding concerns with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the rest of the Interior Department. In Holland's first year, she established an office in the BIA to combat missing and murdered Native women. She ordered an investigation into abuses at federally run boarding schools, and she has started the process to eliminate place names on federal land that are offensive. At the same time, she has drawn criticism for moving ahead with certain oil drilling leases on public land and for continued criminal jurisdiction confusion with tribal authorities. What's your assessment of Deb Holland's tenure so far? Is she fulfilling her promise to be fierce for all of us? Is she meeting expectations? Is it too soon to tell? Deb Holland, one year in, that's our focus today, and we really want to hear from our listeners. So please join our conversation, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Phone lines are now open, and our Native America calling producers are standing by ready for your takes. Joining us today from Gallup, New Mexico, is Polly Danetklaw. She's a political correspondent for Indian Country Today. She's Danae. Welcome back to the show, Polly. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So excited to get this conversation started. So, Polly, I just want to ask you right off the bat, um, Deb Holland, one year in now, what can you point to as her major accomplishments so far in her administration? 
I think one of the major accomplishments is definitely the missing and murdered unit. Uh, As I was writing my article about Deb Holland's first year, a lot of folks in Indian country pointed uh, to the missing and murdered unit as something that they wanted to highlight in terms of the work that uh, Secretary Holland has done over the last year. Uh, The other was the boarding school study. So the Indian Boarding School Initiative uh, report was another that folks were um, thought were thought was really important in the work that Secretary Holland was doing. So I feel like those two were definitely highlights uh, from the year. Okay, uh, boarding school uh, awareness as well as the creation of this new missing and murdered unit. Now that missing and murdered unit that has drawn some criticism though, has it not? Can you talk about that? Hello, Polly. Hello, can uh, you so, hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you, Polly. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yes, I can hear you. Okay, so I just wanted to ask you because I, I, you mentioned uh, the MM, uh, the missing and murdered unit as being uh, a major accomplishment of, of Deb Holland's uh, tenure, but that MM unit has also drawn some criticism as well. I know there have been some articles and some families have been really frustrated with the lack of follow through, uh, feeling it's just, it's not doing or serving its role as really taking a stand and and going after some of these cases. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So that was a lot. That was also part of um, what I heard from folks as well, um, that there was confusion um, around that and also not enough resources for families as well who are doing um, essentially the investigations on their own um, and not having enough resources or, like you said, follow through. Okay. Uh, so, and with regard to the boarding school, I know there's you know a lot of uh, attention now in Canada and recently the Pope formally apologized to a, a group of indigenous leaders that actually traveled to the, the Vatican. So uh, what's the status here uh, in the U.S. with regard to the boarding school issue and now that Deb Holland has, has taken this on as, as one of her major priorities with her tenure? Yeah, so the report was due April 1st, but there hasn't been any announcement of the report. The report has not been released. Uh, So essentially, um, part of this uh, federal investigation, they conducted three virtual consultation sessions with tribal leaders and accepted oral and written comments. Um, That was last year. And they accepted those comments until December 23rd. Uh, And then from there, they were supposed to be uh, writing up the report that was supposed to be due April 1st. But that report has yet to be released, and there hasn't been an update since. Okay. Now, if we look back at the former uh, DOI under the previous presidential administration, Ryan Zinke was uh, the Secretary of Interior at the time. What has been some of the most significant or what have been some of the most significant policy changes from that previous administration, as well as other predecessors of Deb Holland? So I feel like one of the biggest things um, that Deb Holland has really done um, in the last year was there are examples of her remaining committed to self-determination And I think one of the 
best example best examples of that is that she did res- reverse a 1975 policy um, called the Morton Moratorium, and basically that gave a final say to the Bureau of Indian Affairs on any like tribal water projects. Um, and so Deb Holland uh, recently reversed that. And so I feel like having a Secretary of the Interior who really seems to, you know, there's many years left, um, but who seems to think that tri- tribal self-determination is important. Yeah, and that's interesting because you know, government to government relationship or lack thereof, that seems to be the basis for so many issues that tribes have with regard to dealing with Department of Interior. And uh, do you think we're seeing um, with regard to the federal government, their approach, tribal dialogues, consultations, are they using a more engaged, more diplomatic, more communicative approach now that Deb Holland heads up the Department of Interior? Do you think that's happening? The the Biden administration and Secretary Holland have reiterated over and over again that tribal consultation is happening, that tribal consultation is important. Uh, but I feel like there are examples, especially when it comes to oil and gas leasing, as well as the um, the gray wolf issue that's happening um, in, I believe it's Montana, um, and ensuring that you know, the gray wolf is protected. There have been uh, tribal leaders um, for both the gray wolf issue and the oil and gas leasing who are concerned about the direction that the administration is going. And I feel like those have not been, um, those have not been taken seriously. Okay. And for our listeners, could you give us a little more background on the gray wolf issue? I'm not sure that we're all familiar with that. I know it has to do with endangered species. Yes. Um, so the gray wolf was previously uh, considered an endangered species. And what has been happening is that hunters uh, wait outside of Yellowstone Park uh, for gray wolves to come out in order to um, hunt them. And this has led to entire packs of gray wolves uh, being killed. And, and so a lot of indigenous leaders have called for the Department of Interior to put the gray wolf back under uh, the, in, the Endangered Species Act. However, um, Secretary Holland has said that they are reviewing it, um, but nothing has happened. And they are now sort of under protection because of a California judge who said that the Department of Interior um, took the gray wolf off of the endangered species list. But that should have never happened because they didn't have enough evidence for uh, for the gray wolf to be taken off. And so they reinstated the California judge reversed that call. Um, and the Biden administration continues to battle against that judgment. Okay. And, and I know that uh, the gray wolf, uh, an important animal for many tribes, and it, it did seem premature to take uh, the gray wolf off that endangered species list. So, uh, Polly, a- any other uh, major criticisms of Deb Holland that you can point to at this point with regard to her tenure? 
So another issue that has actually just risen up um, is the issue with folks um, dying in custody in BIA oversaw jails that's happening. And so there's supposed to be an investigation about the the estimate of deaths in custody is 16 to 19 because the Department of Interior declined to release the name, gender, and uh, the date of death for folks who died in custody in BIA jails. Um, and so the person who is leading that investigation is Darren Cruzan, who's a member of the Miami tribe of Oklahoma. Unfortunately, what has seemed to occur here uh, is that he was the top official who oversaw the BIA jails mm -hmm. when two to 11 of those deaths occurred. And so now he is coming in as a private contractor to investigate these deaths, which has called into question the ethics of the Department of Interior making that decision. Okay. And we actually did a show on this uh, large number of deaths in BIA jails uh, just a few weeks ago here on Native America Calling. And if any of our listeners would like to hear that recording, just go ahead and go to our website and check out our archives. And you can hear that show. Uh, again, what Polly mentioned, a lot of really good information with regard to that ongoing issue. Any listeners with questions or comments for today's show, please give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. You're listening to Native America Calling, and we will be back right after a short break. Big powwows and other in-person events are coming back in a big way. One of the biggest, the Gathering of Nations, is on for this week. For many events, it's the first in more than two years. We'll talk about the celebration of coming back together, even with lingering health concerns. That's on the next Native America Calling. Mesa Lands Community College can help you lead the way in your chosen field. At Mesa Lands, where one in three students is Native American, you get hands-on opportunities working one-on-one -on -one with instructors in wind energy, where students grow up the turbine in their first semester, silversmithing with access to the largest foundry in the Southwest, and blacksmithing in the cowboy arts. Mesa Lands has a national top 10 rodeo team, too. Info and applications at mesalands.edu. Mesa Lands Community College supports this program. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're assessing Deb Holland's first year in office today. What do you think about her accomplishments or setbacks so far? Please join a conversation by calling in 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. That is the number to call to have your comments heard on the air. Let's bring another voice into the conversation now. Joining us from Norman, Oklahoma, is Dr. Laura Harjo. She is an associate professor in Native American Studies at OU and an affiliated faculty in the University of Oklahoma's Regional and City Planning Program. She's from Muscogee Creek Nation. Dr. Harjo, welcome back to Native America Calling. Thank you so much, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. And I also want to thank Polly for 
you know, all the information that she just shared. I mean, yeah, it's it's really good to get a broader idea of what's going on with um, under Deb Holland. Absolutely. And Polly mentioned uh, the MM unit, missing and murdered unit. And I want to ask you, Laura, what's your opinion of Secretary Holland's work with addressing the whole issue of missing and murdered relatives? Yeah, so I guess I sort of start from this place of um, how can we see each other and humanize each other right now? Not when we're missing, not when we're murdered, but like, how do we begin to humanize indigenous peoples right now? And so if I talk about um, the missing and murdered unit, then I feel like I also have to talk about place, begin from place names. So I think that her work around um, place names, I feel like place names really normalize violence against indigenous women. And it's interesting, I was thinking about that and then you guys played the story leading up to the show about place names. Um, I was thinking in particular about the S word, right? So it's a pejorative word towards indigenous women. Um, there are 650 federal land units that have that word according to the Board on Geographic Names data. And, you know, I think in part this sort of shift starts with those kind of steps where um, it's not normal to have names like that and to switch that out. Um, and then the other thing too, um, I was just at a gathering this past week at, um, it's called the Walani Forest. And so what's happening there, it's in South Atlanta near the South River. So it's the South R River Forest, the um, Entrenchment Creek Park. And what's happening on that piece of land, it used to be Muskogee land. Then from the Georgia land lottery, um, white settlers were able to have access to that land and get title to it. There were plantations, enslaved peoples, possibly unmarked graves on that land. Um, then it became the Atlanta prison farm. Then it reverted back to forest after that, that farm got decommissioned. And now um, the Atlanta Police Foundation is proposing building what they're saying is the largest police training center in the U.S. And, um, and it's like a simulated city. And so what came out of that are kind of these conversations about access to land and parks. So people were asking about how do we kind of, um, how do we grapple with working class folks and indigenous and people of color access the parks? So I know that the, with the Outdoor Recreation Legacy Partnership Program, that she's also put 150 million into that to sort of ramp up this idea of access to land, um, access to parks, that sort of thing, which we know is kind of problematic. So if I start from there, it's like, how do we, one, start to humanize folks? How do we like begin to um, have these incremental shifts in dismantling structural racism, right? Because these murders, like, 
folks getting disappeared and murdered are sort of bound up with these little small things that become amplified and not um, having the same access to the same things and being humanized the same way that white privilege allows white folks to be, right? So, yeah, like if I start from there, then I would say that that's important work that she's doing. Um, you know, and it sounds like the boarding school study is falling short. And it sounded like Polly was mentioning that the missing and murdered uh, unit is falling short. Um, but it's like, we didn't have that before. At least like we kind of have something to critique and figure out how to do it better. So I would say that like, even at least that we have that place that signals to the larger um, nation that there is this discursive shift that these mm -hmm. uh, like cuts, like death by a thousand cuts to indigenous peoples, that there's this rolling back of some of the things that she's able to do. Now, I know that like at the end of the day, it's still, still sort of like this settler state government and we're asking like we have these grievance claims with them that's always going to be problematic but it's sort of like how do you work within the system to do this kind of work so i guess in terms of like i'm glad that the missing and murdered unit that the infrastructure is out there and that it's funded and it's sort of like you know how do we start to retool it and recalibrate not to sound like a bureaucrat but yeah, I'm just those are like the big things that are sort of on my mind are like these kind of like the big picture sure. things and that discursive shift. Right, right. Well, when 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 Deb Holland came in, you know, there were a lot of folks on the right that were really alarmed. She was painted as this radical and um you know, just a, a lot of voices on the right were really really against her. And um what we've seen in many cases is she's actually been very moderate, which makes a lot of sense because Joe Biden is a, is a moderate president. He's a moderate Democrat. You know, he doesn't really go way out on a lot of issues. And, and Deb Holland is kind of mirroring that basic overall theme of policy. And, and I do hear voices in, in Native America that have been critical of that, saying she's, you know, playing it too safe, she's being too moderate. And again, you mentioned, you know, just the fact that we're having these conversations, that there is a missing and murdered unit and that some of these issues are being addressed. It, it is historic, but I, I think um, there can be uh, a risk that Native America, we just continue to point to the fact that, well, she's the first, she's the first. It's this wonderful first step. And uh, at some point, we've we've got to let that go and say, okay, yeah, you're the first, but uh, don't you kind of need to to show us show us what that means in reality? What are your thoughts on that, Laura? I mean, I would agree. Like you know, hearing about deaths in custody, um, and then I know here in Oklahoma, there's like a lot of confusion around um, the McGirt case and jurisdiction and I know in one case, um, a Muscogee woman being assaulted in Okima, and they're being she was punched in front of her children by a white man, and um, no charges were brought against him because the FBI didn't want to bring charges. So it's sort of like when you start scaling up um, around like some of these criminal infractions, and you start scaling up from like the local to the federal and it's like the federal sees that it's not important enough like 
again, that goes back to like setting up the conditions that make it possible for missing and murdered persons. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. It's like, do better. Well, yeah, I feel in many ways like it's just uh, such such a hard job, and you're never going to make everybody happy, obviously. And there are so many issues. And even as as Native nations, we don't all agree. We don't all take the same perspectives. Like, for example, you've got the oil and the gas drilling in, um, for instance, Chaco Canyon area. That's an area that's sacred to so many Pueblo tribes. But at the same time, you have the Navajo nation that's that's close by and they have a, a very strong vested economic interest in the oil and natural gas industry so obviously she can't make all native nations happy um but at the same time you know she is front and center she's that person she's the one that everybody's looking to the savior so to speak and i hate to use that word but but you hear it a lot um i i feel like it's in, in some ways just a job that's that's too big for just one person, uh, one native person, regardless. Um, what do you think's the best that she can she can really do, Laura, going forward? Uh, depending on how much longer she serves, and it, it concerns me as well that we're seeing, uh, you know, some changes there in the administration. Uh, I'm not sure that all these cabinet secretaries and these cabinet members are going to continue through the whole administration. But what, what would just make you happy at the end of her tenure? What would you look back like to look back and say, wow, I was just that made me happy. She just really, really delivered on the promises she made to Native America. What would it take for Deb Holland to to win those accolades in, in your mind, Laura? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm definitely going to be coming at this from a different position than from other folks. So like um, more of like the policy areas that I think about and work in. So I mean, I don't know as much as what she's doing about climate and oil, but I do know that like, say with oil, just like you pointed out, like, in, and I actually have taught a couple of classes regarding that when I was at UNM around indigenous planning and kind of like that checkerboard area and actually some of the um, criminal activity that it's brought into that area with like folks that have those fracking leases being targeted and in one case, like somebody being murdered over money. But for me, I would say, I think about um, bodily sovereignty and um, the protection and safety of indigenous bodies. So if I'm coming at it from that sort of policy frame, then for me, it would be like removing those um, derogatory place names, both like what we were talking about for indigenous women, but then what I just heard on the the news, the small news snippet about having devil in places where indigenous folks were. And I'm a geographer, so like seeing that gone and renamed and then getting this stuff sorted out with the um, McGirt situation here in Oklahoma because I feel like folks do not kind of have that security of one's body in Oklahoma around McGirt and especially like this confusion over jurisdiction and assaults and feeling safe and being safe. And, um, and I think getting the um, the MMU 
sort of the missing and murdered unit up to par with like the needs of the community. So responding to some of the remarks that Polly put out, like how, how do like the family, what, what do the families need? And maybe having some listening sessions with them and integrating that back into how the MMU kind of program can operate. And then, uh, I mean, I would like to kind of see some conversations about like this recent outlaw with abortion in Oklahoma and what that means for like our reservation areas, right? So like right now, um, you know, there's like folks that are wanting to disestablish the reservation statuses in Oklahoma when we just got it. So this idea of kind of like you see the settler futurity operating and settler futurity trying to foreclose on indigenous futurity. So that's kind of what I see part of the issue with the McGirt of like both in how kind of criminal justice operates and then this idea of like um, bodily sovereignty, like I was saying about like, well, how could um, tribes, if they wanted to, and it's in accordance with their value systems, how could they have abortion clinics if that's something that they want? So, I mean, it's sort of bound up with jurisdiction, land, and bodily sovereignty. I would want to see her really, like, address some of that. Yeah. Okay. And, Laura, you mentioned this confusion over McGirt there in Oklahoma. And what do you think Secretary Holland could do uh, in, in the immediate future to just kind of clarify that a little bit better and just clear up some of these some of this confusion and some of these challenges with regard to McGirt. What could she do right now just to to take a more proactive approach with that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, during like the buyback program um, through that Cobell case, um, they had a lot of listening sessions. So how could she come out and like kind of have these kind of workshops and do some listening sessions and not just like consultation, like, Hmm, I'll take that under consideration, but like then take action with it. So how could um, maybe there be some listening se sessions one or two days and then maybe come back another day and like try to come up with like this sort of indigenous framed pedagogy of how like to teach and tell folks, like how to to address this like if you get stopped if you're in your car and you get stopped you know i know people are like the local police are asking people quote do you have an indian card so like just i think even simple things like that these are like the 10 things that you really need to know under this sort of um new world order of mcgirt I would say something like that, maybe. I don't know which okay. comes first, like the listening section or the 10-point kind of things you need to do or both in conversation. So, I mean, I would say something like that. Okay. Well, we are talking today about Deb Holland, Secretary of Interior, and one year in to her tenure as the first Native woman to serve in that role and we really want to hear from our listeners. You're missing from our conversation. So please give us a call. What do you think? Is she doing a great job, a wonderful job, a fantastic job? Or are you a little bit disappointed? Do you think she could be tackling these issues more proactively? 
being more assertive. As she said uh, a year ago when she came into office, I will be fierce for all of us. Is she living up to that? Is she being fierce? Is she being fierce enough? And what does that mean to be fierce for all of us? Please give us a call with your questions, with your insights, with your comments. 1-800-996-2848. That's the number for our listeners, for you to give us a call and chime in. Again, 1-800-996-2848. Secretary of Interior, Deb Holland, the focus of Native America Calling today. And I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We're going to be back right after a short break. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling today. I'm Sean Spruce. Still plenty of time to get in on our discussion about Deb Holland's tenure so far as Secretary of the Interior Department. What have you observed? Join the conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's bring the perspective of a tribal leader into our conversation now. Joining us from Shures, Nevada is Amber Torres. She's the tribal chairman of the Walker Paiute tribe. Amber, welcome back to Native America Calling. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me this morning. Well, as we mentioned, uh, consultations, dialogues, nation to nation communication between tribes and the federal government. have you had a chance as the, have the Walker Paiute tribe, have, have you folks met with Secretary Holland yet? You know, we haven't um, had that opportunity as of yet in her new role, but I'm sure we will in the days ahead. Um, you know, as we know, one year is not enough time to tackle all the issues at hand currently with the BIA. But, um, you know, I have been able to sit at her with the table on several dis- uh, occasions prior to and um I know the intent and the heart that she has behind the job that she's taken on. And how does it appear to you uh, with regard to other tribes and just as you mentioned, being, you know, in some roundtable discussions and whatnot, how do you feel tribal consultation looks like uh, just within the past year now that she uh, is heading up DOI? Do you think things are, are happening? Uh, are they more proactive? Do you think there's there's good momentum going on right now? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, the the Biden administration has really held up to its um, trust and treaty promise that consultation was going to be first and foremost on their agenda. Um, I think that, you know, we've had continuous consultation regarding every program that we run and administer on tribal nations. And, you know, I think, um, you know, there's definitely timelines, there's intent, 
there's expectations and, you know, I believe that follow-up is key to, um, you know, the nature at hand. But, you know, I think having those tribal nations at the table where we were not for the last four years um, is definitely needed and shows a, a mutual respect for that government-to-government consultation and that process. Now, you were quoted in an article recently as saying that you want true, meaningful, face-to-face dialogue with a timeline, intent, follow-up, next steps agreed to by both parties. You said that making the tribal consultation process a law is long overdue, and it would be a step in the right direction to ensure tribal nation sovereignty is protected. So... Are you working towards that end to to make this tribal consultation process a law? How's that coming along? You know, I think um, we're definitely always going to be at the table trying to make sure that this happens. But I was very happy to stand with uh, Chair Grijalva and push the Respect Act forward because I think, as I've said there in my quote, it is long overdue. It's a tribal uh, trust and treaty responsibility of the federal government to make sure that they're consulting with tribal nations before any decisions are made. And I think, again, the people that are boots on the ground need to have their feedback um, at all tables so that we can make good, sound um, investments for the future for our next seven generations. So absolutely, I, I stand with that. Okay, and we have a caller on the line, Donna, listening on KNBA in Wasilla, Alaska. Donna, thank you so much for calling the show today. You're on the air. Oh, good morning. I uh, would just like to say congratulations to Deb for all the work she does. I've been in leadership positions, and I know that it, it cannot be easy at times, and I am just in supporting anybody who's willing to have the guts and the motivation to get out there and do the make uh, decisions that affect Native people. And whether I agree or disagree with uh, her policies, I right now can say that I think the most important thing is that we have leadership out there that's visible and is uh, vocal and is representing us. That's so important now because there's so many things going on now. And in order for us to preserve uh, what we have, uh, our traditions, our land, and even our water, we need people that are willing to speak out. And we need more dibs, in my opinion. Well, Donna, thank you so much for your comments. And as I I mentioned earlier, that quote from Deb Holland, that she will be fierce for all of us. Do you think she's living up to that, Donna? Do you think Deb is being fierce for all of Native America? Oh, yes. Just doing the missing and murdered and taking that on. To me, that that uh, requires a real warrior. <laughs> so I just think it's, that's amazing that that's even happening. Yeah, certainly, certainly is. Um, and Donna, when you hear that, you know, there's been some 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 of these families are, are concerned that they're not getting to follow through, that uh, the MM units are, are just not responding quickly enough, diligently enough. Does that concern you at all, or do you think this is just... Uh, there's just some growing pains. It's going to take some time to get these programs up and going the way they need oh, to be. Oh, well, 
I think you got it right there, you know, baby steps. Sometimes it's baby steps when you're con- when you're trying to get a uh, policy through that's uh, major that hasn't been addressed before. And even that it's being talked about to me is amazing. You know, so I, I just think that people need to be patient. And I know it's hard to be impatient, patient because it's, we, we want to see these changes. But sometimes they're going to happen when people are patient and they're willing to listen and care about each other. Well, Donna, thank you again so much for calling in today. Really appreciate your comments and your insights. And Chairman Torres, I would like to ask you, um, what what are some current issues that you're facing there in Nevada that you would like to consult with Secretary Holland with in the future? I appreciate the question. And and I just wanted to say, Pijat, you to Donna for the good words. Um, you know, I think funding for law enforcement, you know, on our reservations, as we talk about MMIP and that whole initiative, is that, you know, we need more expertise, we need more investigators, we need more funding to be able to hire more law enforcement and get them the appropriate training on our reservations. Um, you know, I think the boarding school issue is, is definitely um, telling the story and bringing things to light, you know, that um, maybe some don't want to talk about, but it's shedding light on our history and telling our story. And, you know, I would love to see language immersion come out of that I think that, um, you know, important issues such as enrollment, land issues, protecting sacred sites, um, you know, and just overall consultation is um, some of the things that I would love to be at the table to talk with Deb Hallen about, um, you know, across Indian country, even though we're unique in our own respective manners, you know, we're, we're pretty much battling all the same issues. But, you know, again, having that opportunity as we haven't been at the table um, with the previous administration, I think is is a game changer. Chairman, has Deb Holland done or said anything to disappoint you at this point a year in? No, I I wouldn't say that she's done anything um, or said anything that would disappoint me. And you know, you talk about her being being fierce for all of us. Um, I think she's lived up to that expectation thus far. But I do hear um, the message of making sure that we have more of her because, um, you know, as you know, you can't tackle these huge issues alone. And, you know, again, with some of the subjects that she's committed herself to, they are going to take time. They are going to take expertise and they are going to take teamwork. And, you know, I think that's where the importance of creating this committee um, that she's working on with tribal leaders at the table um, taking on roles and responsibilities, I think that'll be much needed because that feedback will be there, the intent will be there, and um, again, the follow-through will be there. So, um, you know, like I said, I just think there needs to be there needs to be more um, Deb Hallens at the congressional level and at the program levels within the federal government. Certainly, certainly. And and that word fierce, it is such a strong word. It, it just, it, you hear it, you just can't help but, but pay attention. And, and I want to ask you, Chairman, what do you think of all the accomplishments and all of the, the, the wonderful um, initiatives that Secretary Holland has undertook? What do you think has been her fiercest accomplishment at this point? What are you most proud of? You know, I would probably say right now the boarding school issue because, you know, every single one of our our families has went through that historical trauma and bringing that um, 
very hard subject to light and telling our story and, you know, having that go throughout Indian country and um, telling that story amongst the non-Indians is hopefully there will be some closure to those hearts that are hurting, um, some memory, um, memorable moments for those kids that never made it home, um, some honor and some dignity, um, you know, and then again, just touching on that issue, you know, there's MMIP being brought to light and the, the appropriate amount of funding that needs to go with that. There's, there's so many issues and so many things that she's brought forward um, that I think, you know, by the time that she's done with all of her work, we'll just have that much more to, to celebrate and commend her on the job that she's done. Okay. Thank you again, Chairman, for all those comments. And I'd like to bring Laura back into the conversation and, and Chairman just mentioned the boarding schools. And Laura, what do you think, um, you know, we talk a lot about the importance of getting recognition um, for these issues and, and celebrating our boarding school survivors. And, and, and again, we mentioned how there's a lot of momentum in Canada right now with that uh, formal apology from the Vatican. What do you think Deb Holland needs to do to really get the boarding school issue right on track where it needs to be going forward? Yeah, thanks for that question. And I also want to thank chair chairperson for her um, generous words, just all the way across. So yeah, very lovely and generous words uh, in terms of what she needs. Um, yeah, I'm wondering, I mean, I don't know the full landscape of what she already has, but, um, like, I'm just thinking, how can you draw, like, these sort of community-based um, advisory groups from the impacted areas with the boarding schools? There's sort of, like, this national thing where, like, people will send, like, the be best advisor they have, and it's a group of whatever but what would it look like to have something at a more local scale to really sort through some of these these questions and concerns? So, I mean, on um, a big scale, there's like this importance of like finding like these sort of unknown graves or like determining who's there and just like kind of like the very on the ground material things that need to be addressed. And then mm -hmm. as a nation, like, I don't even know, like, what a public apology would mean. But, and, I mean, well, I mean, I'll put a pin in that and maybe come back to it. But if okay. I return back to, like, people in the community and what she needs, I'm always about, like, how do you engage the local people? So if people are needing to process trauma, that sort of thing, how can you channel resources to those communities? And not in, well, if they want like sort of um, mental health support, there's that. But then I think of the work of um, indig the indigenous scholar, Diane Millian, and she talks about how we create these kind of uh, caretaking communities, well, she doesn't frame it just like that, but it's sort of like we create these uh, communities of caretaking by surfacing the things that are important to us. So 
I heard chairperson say something about language immersion. So then it's like, how do you create these communities where we are together, we are in conversation with each other and dialogue, and we're doing the things that matter for our community. So if it's something that has happened in a canoeing community, then how can more resources be channeled there so that people can like maybe have some dialogue and canoe or dialogue while they're canoeing, if that's appropriate, or beating. I know that beating has been an important sort of aspect for kind of um, working through trauma, like associated with that. So, okay. I mean, for me, like, I think at a very local level. So, like, how can she sort of channel resources there that kind of surface that? Okay. All right. Well, um, thank you so much, Laura, for those comments. And, Polly, we've got just about a minute before we got to wrap up the show. But if you could just um, in one minute, if you could concisely just give us a quick overview of what, what are the major challenges, obstacles that Deb Holland is facing going forward as she completes her tenure as Secretary of Interior? I've got about a minute. I'm going to give you the last word, Polly. Okay. Yeah, going forward, I think that it's going to be the issue that many Indigenous politicians have if they're working for the federal government. It's that, yes, you are an Indigenous person, but at the end of the day, you work for and represent the federal government, who, who are often at odds with Indigenous nations. And so going forward, uh, that's just going to continue to be the battle for Deb Holland as she represents Indigenous communities, but also the federal government. Well, I'd like to thank my guests, Polly Dinetclaw, Dr. Laura Harjo, and Chairman Amber Torres for their timely assessment of Deb Holland's tenure as the first Native woman to serve as Secretary of the Interior. We are back again tomorrow for another awesome live show. We're talking about the return of in-person powwows. Gathering of Nations starts up this week for the first time in three years. Several other events, both big and small, plan in-person celebrations. So are you ready to hit the powwow trail? If so, tell us about it tomorrow. I'm Sean Spruce, as always. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. with a disability and feel you have not been able to access services for you or a loved one? The Native American Disability Law Center can help. The Native American Disability Law Center is a not-for-profit 501c3, and there is no charge for this help. More info at 800-862-7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org who support this show. CMS program. Ikayor minyarasi, ikayor sahasi diabetic tune. Nunakitinitiosi, illati minyakjusi, 
contact Lua local Indian healthcare provider. Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.